Okay, we are we are recording again. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the COVID-19 Comic Book Dungeon podcast. I am Mark, your asymptomatic carrier, coming to you from quarantine underground in the Comic Book Dungeon. And I am Cruz, coming to you live from, as I stated before, the TP line, Wolf Spider Arena. It's We were just talking about, uh, what was it, Dying Light before uh, recording. And it's funny that we're mentioning these zombie-esque-like games, because you are a survivor of the apocalypse yet to be infected, and I'm one of those elite affected who, uh, infected who is trying to get to you. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about it more and more, because what the fuck else can you do? Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like, I constantly feel like that one guy that's being sent out for supplies in my household. You know? Just, I'm that one guy, he's like, hey, uh, by the way, we uh, we really need this, and you're the only person suited for the job to go get this stuff, so we're going to have to send you out there. Uh, here's a bunch of extra masks and some gloves, and uh, oh, by the way, here's a fucking crowbar in case you need to kill somebody. And I'm like, oh, great, thanks. Yeah, speaking of which, I have a grocery pickup tomorrow morning, too, so Yay. <laughs> I'm like uh, the boomer from Left 4 Dead. I just want to, you know, I just, I'm going <laughs> to shoot shit everywhere. Or you're like Charlton Heston from the Omega Man, and I'm a skin-eating zombie. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It's, 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 it's weird. Um, uh, the, uh, the, uh. Uh, federal government has, uh, advised us to, uh, wear masks when we go out in public. Which is is great, you know. I mean, that makes sense. Of course, our fucking idiot, fucking Cheeto in chief is just like, ah, I don't see any point in doing that. Way to go, buddy! Thank you for helping with the fucking natural selection. We appreciate it. Well, you can't blame the virus on Donald Trump. However, <clears throat> regardless of politics, I mean, you could look at Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, any like Jeb Bush, any anybody from 2016. Fucking Jill Stein, anybody would have handled this like a normal president and not spent months denying the virus, would not have defunded the CDC for a stupid uh, border wall that's not going to do anything, would not have dismantled the pandemic team out of spite for Obama. I mean, he he paved the way for this. More like uh, He could not have done a better job if he was intentionally trying to spread the virus. Dude, a fucking Teddy Ruxpin with a Metallica tape in it would have been a better leader, okay? Yeah, because it wouldn't have changed anything. <laughs> Exactly. It, it might actually have been a little more foreshadowing, you know? Well, when the... I love that this has been coming out and people more and more uh, people have been discussing this because I think this needs to be part of the narrative, is that when the Obama team was going out, they did like a sit-down kind of war game of a possible pandemic scenario with the Trump administration. Because And at the time, it felt like, they, like the people there weren't ready to deal with something like that, which is why they did it. And it was like almost everybody who was at that transition meeting has been fired from uh, Trump's staff. There were two or three people ago. So, I mean, there's – and yeah. then they, they've had experts with, like over the last couple of years telling them, you know, if there's a pandemic, it doesn't seem like we have the infrastructure in place to treat it. And it's just – it wasn't about the economy. It wasn't about something flashy. It wasn't about getting dirt on Hillary Clinton. So they, this, his administration didn't care. 
Yeah. And the so, only the reason they started to care about this was one, the economy, and two, the real his reelection. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I I think we talked about this uh, on a phone call call earlier this week. Um, you know, I just wonder if if you know, of course, we're recording in the United States. I know we've got a couple international listeners, but I, I honestly have to sit here and wonder if the American people will actually fucking retain these facts in their long-term memory for November. You know, it, it's dis, it's disheartening. Yeah, I, I've been dis uh, di- disheartening is the the right word because it's. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show. You and me have come down uh, on opposite sides of the uh, Democratic primary. Where, yeah, no, I don't think we've talked about it on the show, but yeah, we are on opposite sides for the Democratic primary. I, I, I was a huge Warren booster, and then right before my state's primary, she dropped out. And so basically it was between Biden and uh, Bernie. And I think they both are problematic in their own way. I, I think both of them have some things that I do like. I mean, I think nationally, Bernie, hands down, is my guy. But internationally, I kind of like more of the Ob- uh, 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 Biden carrying on the Obama legacy. But I just I didn't think that Bernie was strong enough as a candidate to overcome the socialist stigma and, and win co- competently win a national election. And the fact that all of his younger support fucking sat at home and didn't vote kind of in my mind has kind of made me feel better about choosing for uh, Biden. What are your thoughts? Again, I'm, it, it was disheartening for me, you know, um, to, you know, and, and I'm, let's just say by, uh, shit, what is today? Today is April 4th, right? Yep. Six days into my quarantine. Yeah. It, it's April 4th. So, um, yeah, within, uh, it's slightly more than a week. Uh, I, I will be hitting forty three now. So I'm 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 kind of close. You know, I, I'm I'm closer to fucking boomer than I really like. Am comfortable admitting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I I I'm definitely more of a Gen X generation. But but you know, sitting here and realizing that yeah, it's it's the boomers that will continue to go out and. And vote, and the Gen Gen Xers and the Millennials fucking opted to sit at home and sit it out is disheartening because there are so many more people in that age bracket that it it should be a landslide win. Well, it's all those younger Millennials, like those who are, you know, like 22, 25, 28, who. Yeah, but there's so many more. They are the ones I'd say who have been the most vocal, maybe on uh, like say social media. But they're the ones who, when you look at the numbers, came out the least to support Bernie Sanders. And exactly. I'm stealing a little bit from the Cognitive Dissidents podcast, but I don't want to hear you fucking crying in November or I'm not going to vote for Biden because he's not my guy. Well, you didn't vote for Bernie when it counts, so d- stop bitching. Cause right, I- right, right. Um, okay. Um, uh, what can I say? Okay, full disclosure, uh, deep, deep, dark, profound secret of mine. All right, I, I really didn't start voting until the Trump uh, presidential bid, and, and my philosophy was: if I'm not voting, I'm really not going to bitch about it because it's you know I'm not fucking exercising my right to have a voice, you know. 
and and I yeah, you know, I'll admit I was one of those guys. I mean, fuck, you know, it really didn't seem either I wasn't socially aware enough, I wasn't politically aware enough, it really had no impact on me, or I was pretty pretty much honestly way too fucking self-absorbed to fucking really care um, about what was going on outside of my little bailiwick. But there was a paradigm shift with the election, with, with the nomination of fucking Donald J. fucking Trump. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm an originally a born and bred New Yorker. I'm familiar with the man. I'm familiar with how much of a fucking shitbag he is and i really did not want to see that leading our country and yes i i kind of became a lot more woke after that point and now i'm just sitting there kicking myself in the teeth because this is shit i really should have been paying more attention to not paying attention to it after the point where you know i could actually feel the repercussions of what these policy choices mean if uh we're sharing deep secrets um, I voted prior to uh, Donald J. Trump. Uh, I voted for George W. Bush twice, and I voted for McCain. And uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his uh, talking parrot running mate, Sarah Palin. Um, <laughs> I didn't vote in 2012 because I just at that point I was too. I, I was I, I had that same sort of stance. I'm like, it doesn't really. I don't feel like my 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 vote is going to make a difference. And it was a few years after that I started to get a little bit more politically minded. But yeah, I'm a uh, recovering Republican. Yeah, I'm sorry. I almost spit coffee on the microphone with that recovering Republican comment. Yeah, I, I was I was balls deep in it. You know, my parents are both staunch, lifelong Republicans. And it was something that as I got older, you know, like I through the military, I lived in a couple different countries. I then came home and did my undergraduate work at a, you know, a liberal California institution where I got to meet all sorts of different people. And I went into a field that, again, you, you look at things much differently. You deal with people from every SES and walk of life. It really opened my eyes to the, the Republican Party says one thing about freedom and, 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 and self-integrity and, and whatnot, but when you look at their policies, it's, it's, I mean, it's just it's a paper-thin thin veneer of patriotism it, and freedom they wrap themselves it, in. Exactly. You know, I mean, you look at how, thin, how thinly fucking stretched the veneer is it, for, the, for, the, for the party that is always so big on harping about how the economy's doing, how business is going, and all that other shit. Look at how thinly stretched the veneer is after one week of quarantine, one week where, I don't know, roughly about 30% of our working population was laid off, one week without a paycheck, and everybody, everybody is fucking asking for help. That's how thinly stretched our fucking a veneer is about our economy. Our economy is... It, it's 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 the fucking fucking wizard of fucking Oz, okay? Don't peek behind that fucking gauze thin fucking curtain, or you're gonna see the fucking truth. And the truth is, is that we're fucking held together with nothing but fucking shoestrings and bailing wire. I, I felt really stupid once I started kind of you know looking at things and well, this doesn't match up with my values. Like, why am I doing this? And why did I even believe this in the first place? But I mean, the it's not to be kind of an asshole and. It's the Republican Party. Literally, it's it's like they've taken a Casio watch, spray painted it gold, and told you, yeah, it's a gold watch. I mean, that is what their love of like their freedom and patriotism really is. I mean, it's it's not. It's that's what yeah. they. Those are the buzzwords they use to uh, 
capitalism and uh, to put in uh, benefits to benefit Christians and the rich. I mean, if you're, they scream about religious freedom, but for white Christians, that's yeah, it. yeah, that's it. If you're a Muslim, an atheist, a Buddhist, a Jewish, or Jewish, they could give a fuck. Pretty much. So, pretty much. It's it's like like, <laughs> like I said, it's it's disheartening uh, when you think about it. Because I mean, I, I I also kind of leaned a little more to the right, you know, earlier on in my life, and. You know, was all about the uh, the big self fucking reliance propaganda story, pulling your up yourself up by your bootstraps. What the fuck does that ever mean? Like, just critically think about half of this shit for a second. You know, pull yourself by your pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's bullshit. If you look into the history of it, you realize it's fucking bullshit. You know, I mean, I, I, the American economy is is built on so much taking advantage of those with taking advantage of those in a lesser situation you have people who scream about you need to pick yourselves up by your bootstraps and make yourself a a, a success dude you're fifth generation like money that came from a fucking robber a family of robber barons fuck you right exactly yeah, you- exactly you once you scratch the surface of, to use your, your metaphor, the, 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 once you scratch the surface of the fucking chintzily fucking gold-plated Casio watch, you realize it's just all plastic and trash. A little bit of fucking water on it, which is what we're getting right now, basically short-circuits the thing. Like, just not to, not to be an asshole, like, my wife's sister, she just graduated college, and she's 30, she had dropped out for like eight years. She'd worked at like Starbucks, and for several years, she she had a apartment with her boyfriend and now like ex ex husband. But then she moved back home like five years ago, and in, and went back to college. And again, she's she she's spent she's thirty, and she's probably spent nine years in college, like getting that degree, all paid for by her parents. She lives like say rent free at home, you know, with her parents. She's such a, a Republican, and like. These people from the ghetto need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. And, you know, black people and poor people don't have it any harder than anybody else. You know, it's white people that, you know, they're the ones who constantly are getting called out. for. I'm like, what are you talking about? And you keep talking about picking themselves up. You want a kid who grew up without a dad, whose mom had to work three jobs just to keep them fed so he didn't have a lot of supervision, constantly... uh, seen and experiencing gang conflict and crime pressured into that lifestyle he should be getting a 4.0 to go to harvard to make himself something i mean everything in his life is pulling him away from that direction and you who's a a, this white woman who's had every advantage being able to live rent-free when you have problems having parents subsidize college attempt after college attempt should say that this person who had nothing should make themselves a success when with every advantage it took you years. I mean, she just graduated, and while, you know, a failed-out, you know, living-at-home person, yeah, I just don't understand why these people can't pick themselves. You couldn't do it. It was a very recent thing that you've, like, gotten, like, a like a full-time, like, job with benefits and whatnot, but you had every advantage along the way, and it was still difficult for you. But people who've had nothing and every obstacle should just do it. I mean, it's just, it's it's ridiculous. And she will not hear otherwise on that. Yeah, it, it is. It is. I mean, <clears throat> it, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, and, and you know, for... 
for me, and going back to our our, our, our schism, because every, everyone loves a schism, right? Our schism on, on our, our pre- preference for the uh, Democratic nominees. Like for me, the, the health care issue is, is is in recent years has become a very focal point for me. You know, I mean, I've earlier in my career in construction, I, I was very fortunate that I, I, got, I got landed on with some really great companies you know, great benefits packages, all that good shit, you know? So I, I think that kind of contributed a little bit to my apathy bubble because, you know, Hey, here I was, I had, I was, you know, getting great pay, great bennies, you know, granted it's construction. It's a little bit, <clears throat> it's a little bit harder on your body, but you know, I, I, by the end of that, my time with that, with that company, I was in more of a, administrative managerial role than I really was in the trenches, literally. Um, when that company went belly under and I had to actually try and solicit work in the outside and, you know, outside of that bubble, you know, that's kind of when I realized how much you're subject to the whims of wherever you're employed as far as your healthcare situation. You know, I'd managed to do stints here or there where, yeah, we had some good healthcare packages you know, and I, I hell, I even, um, <clears throat> I, I even went so far as to lead uh, a. I, I'm not. I don't want to. I don't know. I'm, it's not really. It wasn't really like a, a unionization thing, but I was working for a company where they had no healthcare plan. They had no 401k plan for their employees. They really had nothing going for the employees. It was still, you know, getting some some prime money uh, for the work. But, you know, we, we, we weren't in compliance with getting all the health care and all that other stuff. And I, I actually managed to lobby the owners of the company into uh, initiating a 401k program and uh, a means of health care for the employees. I don't think it made me very popular with the owners of the company because I got laid off within a year. But, <laughs> you know, that was an interesting role to be asked to fill because I was the most senior guy on the crew. Yeah. You know, and, and having to jump through the hurdles and basically having to go hat in hand and say, look, you know, me, you know, the guys have asked me to do this. Uh, you know, I'm, in, you know, I was purchasing my, my health care options on, on the uh, uh, on, on the California healthcare market at the time. Uh, so I was just like, you know, we'd really like to get a corporate plan started and all this other stuff. And, and they eventually conceded, but without any of like the usual bonuses of like, well, we'll match this from you guys or whatever. <clears throat> and within, within a couple mo- months to a year, I was canned after that. I had to work several years without any benefits, which sucks because I have kids and a wife and, you know, it, it's not so much myself I was concerned about. It was more them making yeah. sure they had health care because, uh, you know, my wife has some health issues and, you know, one of my kids is asthmatic and the other one, we never figured out what the fuck was up with her and her fainting goat syndrome when she was really young. So having to constantly be on the hustle to try and find a position to, to that, that provided that was, I, I, I mean, number one, super fucking stressful. Number two, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's, it, it's, it's very, um, it's very testing. 
you know, to, to constantly be on the market trying to fucking get your name out there to get to a company that actually has those benefits uh, is it, it's it's very taxing on your sense of self-worth because there was a lot of no's that fucking came out trying to fucking move myself to a position where I was with a company or organization that provided that. Uh, thankfully now I'm, I'm set for healthcare and, uh, come May. So yeah, you know, it's been like seriously a solid three years without any fucking healthcare for my family other than covered California bullshit or whatever that we could get because we, we fell below that qualification line because I have so many fucking kids. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, so I, it's where, okay, and it falls back onto another fucking thing, of course. You know, with this constant fucking American exceptionalism shit that we've got going on, why the fuck should anyone in our country have to worry about healthcare? I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow your mind here. Who was the first president who advocated for a universal healthcare system? Oh man, was it Roosevelt? You know what? It may he may have uh, the guy I'm thinking of, and this is going to blow your mind. Is Richard Nixon, Republican Watergate? Richard Nixon. Uh, you can say what you want about him, about his scruples and his morals, but he was a really kind of you know forward-thinking guy. That's why he made his overtures to China, which caused us to have the great line in Star Trek VI: "The Vulcans have a saying: It took Nixon to go to China." Um, but no, he was going to put in a, uh, like he was going to advocate for and try to put in a very bare bones universal healthcare system. And he had approached, uh, Ted Kennedy and he's like, I need your backing on this for this to be a bipartisan, because we used to have bipartisan measures way back when in our country. And he's like, I know this is not what you want. Cause the Democrats even back then wanted a universal healthcare system. He's like, this is going to be stripped of shit. It's not going to have any of the stuff that you guys want. But if you put this in, you know, you're probably going to get one of your guys in next election. And you guys can put in whatever you want. But this is important for us to put in. And Ted Kennedy, he was like sure that they were going to get a Democrat in after that. They were going to have a Democrat majority. That they were going to have a blank check and turned him down and didn't help him with that proposal. And it... uh Uh, or that bill, and it failed. And Ted Kennedy, before he died, he said that was his biggest regret in politics, was that he didn't, that he he took for granted he was going to be able to get that bill in without Richard Nixon's help. So, I mean, in alternate reality, we'd be like any European country right now, you know, if that had gone through, because we would have spent years probably getting some things taken away, but some things added in. But, I mean, we could have been like the late 70s, early fucking 80s had a a bare-bones universal health care plan. Uh, that would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> and that was Richard Nixon. Wow. Yeah, so, I, I mean, basically it sounded like he, he was going to go for the Obamacare of the era. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, if you look at, like, Obama, if you look at his policies, he was as, as far right as, uh, as Dwight Eisenhower was. If you look at, like, the parties, over time the Republicans have gone more and more right where the uh, Democrats have stayed really more and more centrist. So, I mean, Hillary Clinton, I mean, 30 years ago, she would have been considered a moderate Republican with how yeah. she, what she ran on. But no, I mean, it was, especially it was like with, in the mid-2000s, the rise of the teabag party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. 
I love it. It was a bit of a misquote, but it worked. That was quite that was quite unintentional, but yeah, it works. But yeah, oh, I mean, God. no, I mean, they continue to go further and further right. And I mean, it's what I always tell like my or when I get into shit with like my parents and other like other Republicans who talk about like the alt left. What does the extreme left want? They want uh, universal health care and um, protections uh, 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 for, uh, for people, say, out of work, like social protections. These are things right. that every other first world country today takes for granted. And that's what, uh, according to the right, is the far left. What does the far right yeah. want? They're xenophobes who fucking burn fucking crosses and are neo-Nazis who want to get rid of minorities. So, I mean, if you're looking at the two, I would much rather be on the far left than the far right. Yeah, I, I agree. But the problem is, is like, here's the problem I, I have uh, with, with the, the, the stature of the right. Uh, I, I mean, there are so many uh, of the working class people that... That that and, and I, I I fall I fall victim to this too, okay. I'm I'm not exempting myself from this because I, I, I I'm realizing this about myself in in other areas, but they bought into the propaganda, you know. They brought in they bought into, um, the the kind of, you know, gold plated freaking gold spray painted polished shiny looking veneer. Of what they're being told, the the the, the, the party's political or public-facing political ideologies actually are, instead of trying to dig in a little bit and understanding what the actual motivations are, because I can tell you, fucking, I, I can I can tell you, you know, until I'm blue in the face, you know, hey, I'm a really decent person. And I believe that everybody fucking deserves a fucking opportunity and all this other shit. But if behind your back, when I fucking stop saying that shit, I'm, I'm, you know, yanking on the levers and flipping the switches to fucking promote myself and promote a select few, I'm, I'm the shit bag. Right. And that's how I feel the freaking Republican Party is. And unfortunately, everyone else and Trump even said it himself. He loves poorly educated people. Who are willing to just accept things at a fucking face value instead of scratch a little bit below the surface? Everyone else that believes this shtick blindly fucking follows it, and then they get fucking sucked into this fucking identity politics shit. Where if you criticize any of these ideologies that they fucking believe in, they take it as a personal attack on themselves, and then they get defensive and double down on fucking on what their fucking stance is instead of. You know, using the fucking slightest bit of fucking critical thinking and rubbing a couple of brain cells together to fucking think past it. <clears throat> the, uh, in my opinion, the greatest political sleight of hand uh, in the last hundred years was the religious right convincing people that Christians are a persecuted minority in our country. Oh, and, oh, yeah. Because I get into people's face about that. Like, my, my family or something will say something about that, and I'll, I'll push back. I'm like, who's uh, who's the one who's um, um, punishing these uh, uh, Christians? Who's the one who's penalizing them? 
Well, all these non-Christians, and we'll, I'll go through the numbers with them. If you look at this country, depending on like what studies you look at, it's anywhere from like 72 to 78% of this, Christ, of this country identifies as Christian. So a good 75% or three out of four people you meet. And no, those numbers are slowly changing, but that's where we're at. So if you look at our elected officials in this country, what number do you think are, are a Christian? Uh, I'd say upwards of fucking 95%. It's it's about ninety at all ninety I think to ninety two in all but at all levels of government once you go higher you are absolutely right it's it's in that that range so if you're three out of four people in this country identify as Christian and if at least nine out of ten of our leaders identify as Christian who's persecuting them right the, the satanic temple is <laughs> yeah the less than the atheists who literally make up less than one percent in this country yeah i mean you have the nuns which are much larger but actual atheists are like less than one percent so there's some sort of shadow cabal that uh is able to wield that sort of in- i mean it once you look at this this is it makes no sense they control the businesses. They control the government. It's like the Matrix. They are hold all the doors. They are holding all the keys. But yet, how do you motivate a silent majority like that? You convince them that they're a persecuted minority, which yep. Christianity has a persecution complex. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so it that's, feeds that's, right into that. It's gasoline on the fire. That's hilarious that Christianity has a persecution complex when they're the ones that have persecuted fucking most of everybody else in world history. Have you ever listened to the Thinking Atheist podcast? Uh, on occasion. It's been, a, it's been a minute since I listened to him. Yeah, I only like listen. It's a good show, but I only listen to the topics that interest me. But he had one probably three or four years ago where it was people talking about their religious summer camp experiences and the ones that stood out that people kept telling over and over again, it's where they'd be in their bunks and then the lights would come on in the middle of the night and they'd be like rounded up and have to, or like they'd have to hide under their beds or have to go to a central location to hide because they were doing drills for when the government came for them or the atheists came for them or whatever group they imagined was going to be. Per- but that all these people kept telling the same stories. We'd have to hide. And like one person told the story, like they had a gun pulled on them. And they're like, you know, if you, I'll shoot you if you admit you're a, a, a believer in Jesus Christ. And, I mean, it was not loaded or anything, but, I mean, that was the crazy shit that they grew up in was this constant narrative that at any moment the anti-Christians are going to come for you and try to get you to denounce your faith or persecute you for being a Christian. That is what these people have grown up with, and that is why, like you said, as soon as you start to push a little on, like the, nobody's persecuting you, it's it's just so alien because they've been brainwashed from such an early age to believe it. Yeah, I, I mean, now that you mention that, um, oh god, I'm trying to think back. I think it was like a 1980s or late 70s movie. And I, I, tell me if you've watched this one. I think it was called Left Behind. Yeah, that was a it was a Kirk Cameron movie from the uh, I think late 90s, early 2000s. It's based off of a book series that was quite popular at around the same okay. time for religious people. Yeah. Okay, maybe the costuming was fucking dated. I don't remember, dude. All I remember is just like I was watching it and I was just like, oh my fucking God, what is this shit? And it was just 100% super like persecuted propaganda fucking like rapture came and all the fucking sinners were left behind and there was like a handful of people that still believed it hadn't been picked or some shit that's like a whole subset of christian movies it's rapture porn oh god (laughs) 
No, I'm, wow. I mean, I'm, there's a, a podcast that I, I, I can take in small doses. It's called the, uh, it's called God Awful Movies, and it's where it's like a bunch of atheists, like Mystery Science Theater 3000 watch, uh, like Christian movies. Okay. And yeah, I mean, that is a large percentage of those Christian movies is like the rapture porn. Because wow. it's that whole idea of we're like the last uh, believers and everyone's against us. I mean, they have this whole, I mean, the underdog, because I get it, early in Christian history, you know, being thrown to the lions and having to be a secret religion, they, even though that's no longer the case, that's how they think of themselves, that's how they present oh, yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah, they, they still still have that freaking... Yeah, I mean, I understand the, the the history of Christianity is rooted in their persecution by the Jews, the Romans, fucking basically anybody that they came across with. But, I, I mean, what organization have you ever met that has shot itself in the foot so many times and has still ex- achieved that level of dominance worldwide? You know, they, they, they fucked themselves so badly in history. I mean, and, like... um. I was uh, I, I was going through a backlog of, and I know you you listen to the How to Heretic guys. I, I listen to Thank God I'm Atheist, which is like their main show. Right. I, I've been I've been fucking bombing through my backlog of How to Heretic just because you know I have long commutes, um, and they're already on my fucking iPhone, so I, I just wanted to clear the memory out. Um, but I, I was listening to them a couple of weeks ago, and it tied in, it dovetailed really nicely because one of my older kids had a, a project about um, uh, the Crusades and the bubonic plague, and it was arguing which was more impactful on the world. And I was like, well, in reality, if you want to think about it, it, they're all still interconnected through the Catholic Church. I mean, if you look at it, all right, the Crusades. Uh, definitely was uh, an exercise in authority by the, the papal authorities at the time. And they pretty much decimated the Middle East on the first run. On the second run, they got their asses handed to them pretty stoutly. I kind of think I ended in a, in a draw, not too sure. But it's, it, it definitely helped cement the, uh, the Roman Catholics fucking authority in Europe as being able to mobilize and move people, you know, fast forward, you know, a couple hundred years later, I think it was, uh, Pope Gregory the ninth, uh, issued what is known as a papal bull. Uh, it's basically an edict from the Roman Catholic church that kind of determines how people are supposed to act. And, and, uh, it was, uh, the Vox Roma, I believe it was called. And it was basically detailing and going over a bunch of satanic rites and rituals because that that was like the original OG satanic panic back in like 1200s or something. Yeah. And, and one of the things in this Vox Roma edict was thou shalt not suffer a cat to live because cats were associated with witchcraft and heresy, which led to the mass eradication of anything feline in Europe. Uh, from like 1250 to the early 1300s. So much so that the decrease in the cat predator population kind of left all the vermin to run amok and run free, which supposedly helped provide a vector for the bubonic plague to spread, which killed something like 34 million Europeans at the time. (laughs) Some similarities. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Everything's plague-related these days, man. (laughs) Uh, 
Uh, of course, my wife, who who kind of leans a little right, was like, well, you know, studies are showing that maybe that wasn't a freaking vector. It was just that they lived in their filth at the time. And I'm like, well, yeah, and the rats were drawn to the filth, too. I mean, you know, you say tomato, I say tomato. If you have a shit ton of flea-ridden freaking vermin and a shit ton of filth, you're just promoting shit to spread anyways. I mean, maybe if they had more cats in the general population, they wouldn't have to worry so much about the rats and they could clean up their shit. <laughs> oh, <sighs> I, it is exhausting, all the it, religious <laughs> shit. Um. Uh, so anyway... Uh, uh, <laughs> now we've probably spent the half hour venting. <laughs> what have you been up to that's comic book or sci-fi related um, this week? <laughs> I started rereading G.I. Joe comics. Um, just here and there. Just one uh, every every one or two a week. Because I really like the series. I always wanted to do a podcast on the G.I. Joe series. So it's just it's fun to go back and like read those from the beginning. I remember that the, 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 the genesis of this show was when you approached me and, and suggested that maybe we could start off with going through the G.I. Joe series. Yeah, I was going to call it The Pit, The Great American Podcast, and uh, yeah, I was real excited about it. <laughs> and and I, I don't know at what point it morphed into uh, going over the, uh, the, the more uh, out there, esoteric, freaking lesser known uh, books but uh, uh i remember that i remember that the, the original uh elevator pitch was to go through the gi joe books <laughs> and I, I was like yeah sure fuck it i'll do it <laughs> yeah i mean that might be something that someday we explore it's just that there's so many of them but right uh, yeah what about you anything uh, anything else going on um i i have started uh watching uh, a little bit of enterprise all right yeah, I, I I just got through the uh, Andorian incident one, which with Jeffrey uh, Combs as the Andorian. I do love the fucking makeup they used. Yeah, I, and, and I, I'm I'm kind of wondering were the antennas CGI or were they just like little animatronic antennas they fucking strapped on their heads? I think that was all practical. Oh, really, it was all practical special effects. That's awesome. Yeah, the more I see of Enterprise, the more I'm I'm liking it. That first season I thought was kind of rough, but some of the episodes, like I thought the uh, Andorian incident was really good. Especially yeah. man, the Vulcans are assholes, right? They they were kind of I, I okay uh, disclosure. I fell asleep, <laughs> I fell asleep on the last fifteen minutes, so I don't know how it concluded. But yeah, the whole impression I got uh, in the middle portion of the episode was yeah, the Vulcans are being kind of assholes. Yeah, they 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 were being very holier than thou, haughty fucking douchebags. I'm sorry, I I I just got. I thought this was a, te- a te- never mind. I I was just a little distracted the last three seconds. I thought this was a work text. Ah, no worries, no worries. We can edit that out in post. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. I just with the Ashley being in the my wife is in the hospital with COVID nineteen, and it's. With everybody is being very good and reaching out and wanting to know how she is, but especially like I've been working from home and sometimes I had just a lot to do and it's like in an hour I'll get, you know, nine texts and three phone calls of people wanting status updates and it's like I need an intern like to handle all this. So there you go. There you go. I'll, uh, I'll send somebody out with a full fucking biochemical suit uh, and uh, I'll have them uh, handle your calls for now. I, 
I would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got four extra mouths to feed here, so you know, hey, <laughs> I'll send one your way. <laughs> They'll get distracted pretty quickly, though. Yeah, they're teenagers. What do you expect? I don't know if you're ready to handle a teenage girl next to you. I'm not going to even touch that. <laughs> I'm just going to. Today's issue of Star Trek. Uh, this is Kirk, Spock, and the Enterprise trapped in a web of ghostly vengeance. And I got to feel stupid. It wasn't until I read this issue I realized that was Kirk holding hand. That melty guy. That guy who looks yes. like he's turning into butter. Yes. With yes. his mouth impossibly big is Captain Kirk. I had no idea. He looks like Ray from the Ghostbusters cartoon who's melting a little bit. Yes, you know, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that. Like, after reading the issue, I went back to the cover, and I, I was just like, okay, so the Wonder Twins are, are is is that is that Kirk and Hester? Uh, I guess. They're holding hands, and, uh, yeah. So this is actually a pretty badass cover, because I just thought these were two. I guess I should have, because look at his rank. It is a captain's rank. I didn't even look at that. Um, oh, she's supposed to be a lieutenant. She's got, uh, commander stripes on. Oh, I'm gonna rip this issue up now. Fuck them. But, uh, <laughs> they're surrounded, it looks like they're surrounded in, like, a Tholian web with a bunch of glowing heads around them, and then you see yeah. a starship. It's the USS Endeavor, and it's the, uh, it's a Constellation class before the refit. Or, I mean, Constitution class, I'm sorry, before the refit, so it looks just like the original Enterprise. Yeah, this, this looks like a freaking, like, a 19... 19- 80 something talking heads video gone yes weird <laughs> i mean it's it is it is again again and one thing we, we we've i think we've we've been pretty consistently on the same sheet of music about are the covers have been pretty fucking great uh they've definitely been like drawing you in very well this one is is no different it, it is great. It is a little campy after you read the issue, but it, it is a fantastic cover that, that definitely draws you into the book. And I mean, uh, I, I think the the pre-show conversation we had, we both were, uh, we we both did enjoy this issue. There was a couple of little quibbles we had, but for the most part, I think we both had a good time with it. I I really love this issue, and this has been my favorite so far. So if you've been getting down on how much we've been getting down on the issues, oh, there's a bunch of ridiculous shit that happens in this. Oh, God, yes. But it's hilarious, and it, it kind of... Maybe I just went in really wanting to like this one, because of the, the story in this one is super cool, like the concept. So I was maybe a bit more forgiving than some of the other issues. But you know, I'm still going to be a dick and quibble over it and a lot of my quibbles are actually the first couple pages so i'm raring to get into this but this is marvel's star trek issue nine this is from december of uh, 1980 with a reasonable cover price of 50 cents yeah totally reasonable and, and a pretty pretty great issue um uh, uh, go go on i'm uh, sorry i had a technical issue on my phone and i'm having to re-download this so i can uh I can get it offline because my internet's gone fucking wonky. No worries. Uh, this is Martin Pasco writer, uh, Dave Co- Cochran and Frank Springer artists, Conzienza uh, letterer, Carl Gafford colorer, Luis Jones editor, and Jim Shooters are esteemed editor in chief. <laughs> it gets me every I time. I can't. I can't not do it at this point. <laughs> And in terms of splash pages, if you want to get me hooked in a fucking issue, this is the way to do it. We have the Enterprise looking awesome 
and just the space shot, it looks like there's like a nebula or something in the background. That star field is really well done. And then we have a starship that's adrift. And if you look carefully at it, again, it's an old style uh, Constitution class ship. And it's like upside down at an angle. So you can tell yes. it's like dead in space. Fucking magnificent. I mean, fucking hands down. As soon as we even talked about this last week as we flipped through the first couple pages, I was so excited to get into this because of how cool that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is actually to, to 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 turn a page on that. A bit of a quibble that I had with this reading how this one opens. So there go the Enterprise found the uh, Endeavor as they were on their way to Starbase Eight for R and R. So they spent two years refitting the Enterprise, correct? In uh, yes. dry dock, <clears throat> and so far they haven't done any exploring. The last issue, they were cutting across an unknown region to get to a starbase faster. They've, like, gone to a planet that Kirk went to in his youth. They were stopping an energy field uh, from destroying a planet, like, on an uh, emergency mission. And they did, like, a prison transport. They have not done any actual exploring in this series so far. I just thought that was real weird. They seem to be failing to meet the mandate for the the Enterprise here, really. They're doing all, like, the bitch missions. (laughs) <laughs> we're ferrying a prisoner you know we're uh going over here to drop this off oh we're gonna cool it's, this down it's only been a couple of months since they got the ship out of dry dock this is maybe just an extended shakedown cruise okay that's i mean that's kind of i'm not saying that their missions aren't important it's just that we're in the original series it was every episode like we're in unknown space we're in unknown sp- and like next gen would do a lot of that but have to do some of the more rudimentary issues as or uh missions as well this has been all the we might cut across a little bit of unexplored space on the way to our mission, but they really have not, like, this is an unknown area we're here to explore. I realized that when I read this one. I'm like, man, that's a, that's a little weird. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I'm just going to give a blanket seconding on the splash page. It, it definitely is one that hooks you, and uh, it, it's, so, it's, so, it's so pretty. <laughs> yeah, I, you could hang that up. Like as wall art, because that's it's so well done. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I uh, I think we might have a difference of opinion on this next page. Okay. So they're hanging out on the bridge, and they're. It's been a mystery what happened to this. So the ship, it is the USS Endeavor, and it has been missing for twenty-two years. Um, so this, they're hoping to get a uh, an answer to this long-held mystery. But while this is going on, we meet a new female crewman. A Karen Hester Jones, and uh, I don't understand this interaction she has with Kirk. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of, kind of glommed onto it fairly quickly. I mean, what do you expect? Hot-looking redhead lieutenant comes on the bridge. Nope. Um, she talks about freaking mating habits uh, <laughs> of something immediately. No, and I, uh, Kirk I, is stumbling over some. Some, his reply. No, I get all that, but here, let me just read it. It's zoologist Karen Hester Jones reporting his ordered, sir. I trust the captain will find my research on the mating habits of psionic primates of Tau Ceti IV uh, satisfactory. And he says, Thank you, Karen, uh, Lieutenant Hester, and welcome aboard. So this is the first time he's met her since she's come aboard. And it's to report, to give this report that's Basically meaningless, but I think it was an excuse for Kirk to get her up there. Where did she come from? 
If they're because um, it, 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 it's not like they they're going someplace because they've been out someplace for a while, so they're going someplace for R and R. Where did they pick her up? You would think they would have picked her up at the Starbase where they went to for R&R. Where did they go where they just picked her up? Uh, maybe he, maybe she got uh, transferred on board when uh, when the Psycho Doctor freaking got got picked up. But she didn't get picked the, up. She, well, uh, she, well, she stayed on the planet. Well, no, but she was originally transferred on board for transport to, to, to go to a medical facility. Yeah. Right? I'm talking about Psycho Doctor from last issue. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Already. I'll take that. And he's just been ignoring her. Since he's then. No, not just ignoring. He's been avoiding her. Yeah. I mean, like, seriously, it's a big ship. Plenty of places to scurry away to, away from when, you're, when your ex comes on board and you don't want to interact. So, I mean, I, it was a cool interaction. It's just, I thought that was weird. It's like, oh, it seems like they've been kind of away doing shit for several months. When did she? Because it's like, oh, we're just heading back from like a nowhere location, but she just sprung up. But yeah, I think she's been, he's been ignoring her. But yeah, this was such a cool interaction where she, he calls her by her maiden name and she quickly corrects him. Hey, this is the type of chick that hyphenates, okay? Come on. Yeah, but anyway, they have no time for skirts now because fucking the uh, <laughs> the Endeavor shoots the uh, uh, locks on and uh, starts attacking the Enterprise. Great Scott! <laughs> oh, 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 I forgot. I was going to send you something. Um, um, I, and I, and I, I got to say, I came across this meme. It's really great. Um, tangent time. Uh uh, Bones and and uh, and uh, Kirk are having a conversation, and uh, they're talking about what they're going to do when they retire. And uh, Bones says, said he's going to open up a chain of physical fitness stations, and uh, he's going to name it a uh, "He's Dead Jim." <laughs> I thought that was so. Funny. I like it. That <laughs> was so corny. It was like a dad Star Trek joke. No, but it's great. <laughs> okay. Anyways, <laughs> so um, that beep. It, our, uh, our ship here, they get down to business. Um, they want to do minimal damage to, uh, to basically uh, uh, incapacitate the Endeavor. And uh, this is actually pretty, pretty smart for the comic. Um, they, take, they get hit with phasers. They fake like they're, uh, uh, they lost warp power, start to uh, sandbag it a little bit, and then at the last second kick like shields and like, warp power back in and disable the... Uh, Endeavor with photon torpedoes. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> well played. Great little bit of space combat here. Uh, I wish there was a little bit more, but hey, you know what? I'll take it. Yeah, this next page is so fucking awesome. We, uh, we see the, the crew, they beam aboard the Endeavor, and you just see everybody in old-style uniforms and their skeletons at their station. Yes. Uh, and then our crew... They beam aboard in the environmental suits, like the uh, space suits from the motion picture. Yes. Yeah. So it's really, really well drawn, and it just looks super cool. Yeah. It, it was. It was. Uh, it, it was extremely nicely portrayed. You can actually identify everybody through the helmets pretty easily. Uh, you know, they they split off and get to their various tasks. You know, uh, they find some phaser fire burn marks on the bridge they start investigating that and oh we, we forgot then, to mention that the endeavor when the, even before it started attacking there were no life signs on board so they were confused right. of how the ship could be shooting at them and yes. so when they get here they see it is in fact a ghost ship well you know there was something they could have done to to shut down the ship with minimal damage yeah we oh, we talked about that before the uh before the episode <laughs> where 
in two years, you know, Wrath of Khan came out and showed that you can basically hack into a ship with their prefix code and shut them down. So we thought how cool that would have been if they had done that and kind of like stolen that for Wrath of Khan. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so <clears throat> they're, they're going about their investigation and there's this sparkly blue My Little Pony mist that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, it looks almost like a like a from a cartoon, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, like an aroma coming off of a pie. You see yes. that, and it possesses one of the uh, the the crewmen, the, the Andorian. Yep, it's damn Andorians, always going all wonky. You know, the, the Vulcans said they're volatile. This next page, mm-hmm. I really love because you see one of the crewmen. He's got the. Uh, it's an earpiece. You see, like, Lieutenant Uhura, like, on the bridge. Where, and the technical term for it is earpiece, actually. That's actually what it's called. But, yeah, he can't get it on through his spacesuit. So it's just a cool touch that you see him holding on to it. Like, you have it, like, touching his spacesuit as he's trying to, like, pull up logs. And I just thought that was, like, a cool touch. Him, like, you know, I'll turn up the volume on Max so I can yeah. Of, yeah, I just thought that was d- <clears throat> fucking cool. Right, so, so he should have been paying more attention, I guess. Yeah. Look out behind him. The Endorian fucking kills him. Just disintegrates his ass. Disintegrates his ass. His ass has been disintegrated. Yeah. And you just. Yeah, and then. No more earpiece either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good luck getting those files now. (laughs) Yeah. So then you have everyone on the away team start to scatter. Oh, I'm sorry. They sent Spock and Sulu to explore the rest of the ship. So it's like the rest of the uh, red shirts and uh, Kirk and McCoy up on the bridge, as this guy is just trying to liquidate him with his phaser. And uh, they uh, they end up shooting him in the face on fa- on stun, and it does nothing. Yeah, it, he just shrugs it off. It's like no biggie. Yeah, and of course, uh, our, our boy Kirk fucking uh, goes for the uh, flying Kirk ta- uh, tackle. Yeah, because you know, his phaser was on heavy stun, so like he said, it should have taken out like an army, and he just shrugged that shit off. Yeah, yeah, he goes for the Kirk-foo freaking uh, solution. Man. And uh, tackles his ass. This was so. This whole scene is just so fucking cool. Yeah, you, yeah, you, it's a good fight scene. Yeah, they're all doing hand to hand with him in spacesuits. In spacesuits, and then you see uh, Spock come up from uh, outside the bridge, and like he's holding him with his Vulcan strength. And even he said he's like, I can barely hold on to him. He's superhuman. But uh, we've got uh, drug dealing McCoy there. Uh, again, again, drugging people without consent. He's the Cosby of the crew. <laughs> well, uh, well, uh, would you like a pudding pop? Yeah. You get the Andorian in the spacesuit and the drugs in the Andorian. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's using quadrothrazine, uh, which is enough to... Uh, I guess knock out an army, but yeah, it, it actually, it, uh, it works. It starts to subdue him, and then Kirk uh, orders a beam out back to the Enterprise, and you see more of those uh, shadow shapes. Snake. Yeah, shapes. <laughs> starting to come for them. Man, that could not have been any fucking cooler. Yeah, I, I mean, so, okay, let, let's, let, let, let's uh, do a little Star Trek comic book bingo here. We've got... Uh, awesome spa- splash page with fucking uh, spaceships that are well drawn um we've got space combat combat that's well done 
And then we have a fist fight in environmental suits. So, you know, I mean, that, that's four out of three, four out of freaking five here. I, I've almost got bingo for a great episode. I'm a sucker. Great issue. Yeah, I'm a sucker for any one of those. But I mean, just the whole ghost ship. And that's a trope. It's oh, a ghost well, ship trope. Bingo. Heavy, yeah, it's a well-trotted Star Trek trope. But it's one I'm a sucker for. Yeah, everyone loves a good ghost ship, man. Yeah. <clears throat> it's... Normally, when there's a ghost ship, a trope, trope that runs hand in hand with that is space madness, which we get a little bit of that with the possessed here. And again, even though it's well a well-trodden trope, it is because it's so fucking awesome. And this issue cranks it to eleven. Yes, it does. <laughs> Just, yes, yes, it absolutely does. It, it comes out great. Did you think Kirk was a bit of a dick here when they transport back? Yeah, he was a little short, but uh, I mean, more and more I'm realizing Kirk is kind of a douchebag. <laughs> it's like he's permanently on the rag yes. throughout this entire series. So Yeoman Rand is there, and uh, or Chief Rand, and she's like, Captain, what happened over there? Not now, Rand! We've got a problem on our hands. Dude, she was asking a, you're one guy short and another guy unconscious, I would like to know. So, I mean, that was not a, a stupid question, but... uh. So they're getting him down to sick bay, and a lot of times, like in the original series, the crew like handles shit just in inexplicable ways. Oh, this guy's murdered two other people. We'll send him to sick bay. You can handle it, Bones. No, this time he sends a security detail to back up McCoy, which, which actually actually was smart. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> but uh, and meanwhile, in the transporter room, we see the uh, friendship is magic cloud is uh, has transported on board as well and is dissipating throughout the ship. Boom, boom, boom. So while this is going on, we get what's kind of our B plot. We see uh, um, the female crewman before Lieutenant Hester uh, meet with Kirk, and we they kind of define the relationship a little bit. All right, you get a, a little bit of uh, romantic history, you know. Apparently, uh, Kirk and Hester had a had a little fling in the past, and you know she took a while to recover. So yeah, they she they were together for three years, you know, not living together that whole time, but you know he she would see him between like assignments, and just one day it sounds like he just never came back, and so she decided to get on with her life and get over him. What did she do to get over her relationship with the Starfleet Captain Cruz? She joined an organization that was as far away from Starfleet as humanly possible so that she would minimize any chance of running into her former beau. That makes a lot of sense. That was logical. What uh, what organization was that, Cruz? It was Starfleet. <laughs> and then she was surprised she saw him again. <laughs> I mean, it is a big organization with thousands of individuals. I get that. It's like, say, if you know, I divorced my wife uh, and I was in the army and she joined the army there's a high probability that we may never run across each other but the probability of us running across each other has gone up of more or uh, magnitudes uh, in orders of magnitude because we're part of the same organization so maybe if you're trying to get over him especially he kept leaving me because of his commitment to this organization what will help me keep my mind off that is making a commitment to the same organization right Right, yeah, that makes totally makes sense. Can, did this issue feel a little bit sexist to you? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, come on. I mean, it's it, the 70s, right? Because she, you will see later, she's the key to this whole thing going on, but she's never an active part of the solution. She never figures anything else, she never has any agency. And no, she's window dressing. Yeah, so I, 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 I um, 
Chief Rand asked the question. Not now. You're not important enough to answer, woman. Get out of my way. I mean, it just it's this episode. This issue seemed a bit dismissive towards women. But yeah, you know what's really dismissive for me is is the lack. They didn't even pay enough attention to detail to to her character character model because throughout this whole issue, and it it bugged me the first time, and it's really getting my attention. Fucking going through it again with you. It, they never consistently get that fucking beauty mark in the same spot. Oh, that's not a beauty mark. That's a teardrop. She killed a man in prison. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, that's exactly what it looks like. I mean, it looks like she's got, like, the prison teardrop. Yeah, and it just it migrates up and down her cheek, depending on what panel you're looking at, or completely disappears. Why did she take an assignment on Kirk's ship? Well, maybe she didn't have a choice. Starfleet seems pretty cool when it comes to shit like that. Like, uh, you were... Because... Well, he would, she, He has a crewman that he was romantically involved with that could compromise his command, uh, his ability to, like, say, send her on a dangerous mission. One or both of them should have said, this is probably not going to work. Look, okay, com- okay, seriously, throughout the original series, and, 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 and I'm sure in any of the expanded stuff, you, you know, Kirk from was a gentleman point. who made well-reasoned romantic decisions, is that what you were going to say? Uh, no, I was I, I, I was going quite the opposite. That Kirk was known to be a freaking skirt chasing, lecherous fucking fool, and I think I think at, at a certain point, like the human resources people at Starfleet kind are, of are kind heads. of like, like, okay, who hasn't this guy fucked? Who has not this guy alienated sexually or romantically or whatever way, shape, or form? And finally, they just look at ah, fuck it, send her over there. She'll have to deal with this shit. Maybe they could have gotten away with this. Maybe it would have been okay. But, I mean, this whole interaction where she says, like, I think you owe me something. Don't you care at all? What the fuck are you? You haven't seen each other for years. You've been married for six fucking years. You move the fuck on. What do you think this guy owes you? Oh, but did she move on? And, And he even says that. He's like, if you got married to forget me and it didn't work out, you have to own that. That's not my fault. Which I agree with. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, for her to kind of, like, go up to him and say, like, I think you owe me something for this is real weird. Well, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it, it seems a little weird, a little off-putting. I mean, I, I don't know the details of their romantic history or, or what transpired in their three-year mission. Or three-year, not mission, but three-year... Sexy mission. Sexy mission. Wow. But, um, <clears throat> you know, maybe maybe she felt she invested more into the relationship than he did and, and felt kind of abandoned. And, and, and there's maybe there's some feelings going on there. I mean, it, it's it's shown that she didn't, you know, she continued to hold the torch out to him. Wasn't there a line where she was like saying something about, you know, like I, I couldn't uh, there were time, nights where I couldn't help but. But say your, you know, it took everything I had to say his name instead of yours. Yes, that is a crazy thing to say to your captain who you had a romantic relationship like six years ago with. Yeah, yeah, well, apparently, he, <laughs> hey, Kirk, you know, he's got a lot of experience. <laughs> I mean, this is all Brokeback Mountain. I just can't seem to quit you, Jim. <laughs> so weird. So we move on and uh, they go to the briefing. And I love Spock's confused because he invited her, a zoologist, to the briefing. And he's like, what is she doing here? But they, <laughs> they, they, they kind of get to it that the, they're looking at the log from the Endeavor. And they find that it, uh, they had taken on her grandmother or her great-grandmother, uh, who's, uh, who's uh, also named Hester, who she thought had died at 36. But she'd only disappeared for 50 years and had died at 89. 
Right. Ooh, where did she disappear off to, by the way? In that that middle line, that right panel, I missed it the first time. What is that fucking, like, statue in the background? There's, like, a Cthulhu statue in, like, the background of the fucking uh, briefing room. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that the first uh, my first read-through, and I was just like, what the fuck is this shit? I think that's a memento from, like, that first adventure they went on in the Haunted House. Wouldn't that have, like, dematerialized? Or, or there was some practical stuff going on with that one, too. So yeah, because they, they had made the uh, haunted house. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I was puzzled by that as well, and I just gave it a, I just gave it a pass because I was just like, okay, it's cool. It reminds me of – okay, okay. So I, I, I know you fell off the Destiny wagon uh, uh, fucking pretty hard and fast, but in Destiny 1 – and you see it in Destiny 2, some of the uh, the hive statue statuary looks remarkably similar. I'm just wondering if this is like a little bit of a universe crossing going on here. Because it very looks very much looks like uh, something out of uh, uh, out of a, a hive uh, statue. The Federation like, defeated the hive back in uh, 2308. Oh, well, that explains mm-hmm. it. Maybe it's a momentum from the war. Yeah, I like that we get a return of the three-paneled like briefing view screen in the uh, briefing room. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah! It's their conference call one. Yep. So we see after the endeavor endeavor beamed uh, Hester aboard, some of the crew began to manifest dementia. The cr- de- security detail went berserk and killed twenty-seven crewmen, either by through phasers or by force. And we see on the view screen a, a guy who looks possessed, just like we've seen. Yeah, he looks rage-roided out, dude. Yeah, this is super cool that the madness, it, it just continued to grow. And then they disabled the turbo lifts and selectively cut off life support and just started killing just in mass the rest of the crew. Yeah. Within a week, 295 crew or 96 crewmen were killed. It, it belies a level of intelligence to the madness that we had not seen before. So this here is <clears> a <throat> little problematic because we see a Vulcan. Um, killing, and he, it looks like Clint Eastwood is a Vulcan, but, uh, yes. this, this, do you feel lucky, punk? Do you feel illogical, punk? Do ya? I call this the, uh, discovery problem, because we see in discovery, there's, like, Vulcan admirals in Starfleet, which I had always thought that Kirk, or not Kirk, Spock was the first Vulcan in Starfleet, which bothered me that we saw younger, or that we saw people who'd been in Starfleet longer than him. But then when I went back to trace that, I can't find it anywhere officially that he was the first Vulcan in Starfleet. The only thing I can find, like in the original series episode, Amok Time, they just keep saying, like, you're a legend among our people. And I always took that to mean it was because he was a the first Vulcan in Starfleet. And I, no, it was because he overcame his fucking half-human origins and learned how to be logical. I, I mean, I'll take it because there is no official source that says he is the, the first Vulcan in Starfleet. So, it always, when I see a Vulcan who kind of predates him, it's, it, it, it bothers me a little bit. And I, I've seen it, because when I've looked it up, a lot of people have had that same misconception. But why is this on Discovery? He was the first Vulcan. It never explicitly said that. I just always had taken it for granted. So, yeah. I'm the cunt. Yeah, I mean, you know, digging into my, uh, my more limited uh, Star Trek knowledge, um, I think there's very few, like, celebrated firsts of a species in Starfleet, with notable exceptions being uh, Worf and Data. Yeah. You know, and, and Data was one of a kind, and, and Worf was... Uh, Worf is one of a kind, too, in his own special way. In my heart. He is. He is. 
Oh, did you did you see that Zoom call with the uh, the uh, <clears throat> Next Generation crew? No. Yeah, they all got onto uh, that Zoom app to wish uh, Will Wheaton a happy birthday, and it had all of the original fucking crew. I it have was to fantastic. see that. Yeah, I'll I'll see if I can send you that screenshot, dude. It was it was pretty cool. I will say, as as much as I always had a boner for freaking Gates McFadden, she's not aging well. <laughs> Which is weird because if you. It, it, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this. She was like, it was like in the movies. She was like, she looked like she was the one who was aging the most gracefully. But, yeah. Um, there was a picture from about a year ago where Will Wheaton went to a costume party as Commander Riker. Oh, which, that's hilarious. Yeah, because he's got the beard and everything. It was pretty cool. Oh, man, I'd love to see that. Yeah, Do you know he's an author? Yeah. Well, who? Uh, Frakes we- or Wheaton? Uh, Wheaton. Frakes, yeah. too. But, uh. His book was not nearly as well received as uh, the Will Wheaton stuff. Yeah, I knew Wheaton wrote. Yeah, he uh, he's a real fascinating guy, Will Wheaton. Uh, yeah, I um, yeah. There's a lot of personal history and shit that I see him write about on freaking uh, Instagram and on his Facebook posts because you know you can't get that lengthy on Twitter. Uh, that I, I look at and uh, I definitely identify with. Well, I, I hate how much people give him and the Wesley Crusher character shit. Because I, I, I mean, I'm a couple of years younger than you. You know, I was, you know, I was born in 81. So, I mean, I was real little the first couple seasons of Next Gen. Because, I mean, I watched from, like, season one on. But I always loved Will Wheaton on the show. Because Wesley Crusher, he was kind of, you know, he was the kid on board. He was, like, you know, my yeah. eyes. And he was me- that was what he was meant to be, is, like, the, the eyes and ears of everyone else. And right. yeah, so I always hated people who give him him and like the will or the the will crusher uh uh character a bunch of shit yeah. or Wesley <laughs> Crusher character. Yeah, uh, the, the whole shut up Wesley. Yeah, I mean, especially if you watch that episode, he's the only one who has half a clue of what's like going on. <laughs> exactly. I I think that 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 episode kind of shifted my my view on him because originally he was kind of a whiny little shit on on the on the ship. But uh, that episode kind of, you know, it, it kind of solidified him as being a, a rather more mature voice of reason than his his uh, his character was presented as before. So I'm going to do say something to alienate some of the audience here. If you hate Wesley for being a whiny little shit, then you must have to really hate Worf. Because, I mean, that's, like, <laughs> the entire, like, discommendation, like, uh, season... He's just a sulky baby that entire season. I mean, it's, this is dishonorable. If I eat this salad with ranch, it's dishonorable. It would dishonor that I can't do that. Oh, poor me. I mean, it's just the, just, he was such a <laughs> sulky baby on Next Gen. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I like Worf. I like Worf a lot. But you can't divorce the fact that sometimes you're like, just shut the fuck up and stop sniveling about this. I would say um, uh, on the next generation, the the character that exhibited, I would say, the most notable character growth throughout the entire series would have been Worf. Yeah, it's it's. I I, I want to say Worf is my number one pick for that that category. Data would be my number two. I I would reverse those. It just in my mind, it would be Data then Worf. Worf. I didn't really start liking Worf till he hit Deep Space Nine. But that by, by that point, he was a lot more chill. Well, they. Uh, my understanding is that when he they approached him to come aboard, he had uh, like some demands. One, 
they had to change his makeup where it took half the time to get into. That's why you'll see some differences between his makeup and next gen in D Space Nine. And two, he didn't want, like you said, all that character development to go away. Like he wanted Worf to have arcs and to grow and and I thought they right. did a really good job of, of that. He yes. did, instead of being like the most warlike dude, you, you saw him kind of grow. Especially Jedzia was really good at calling him out and help shaping him. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I I I definitely say storytelling DS9 was probably the best of the best. Oh, I love it. I just yeah. hit the uh I've been rewatching that on the treadmill and I just hit the Jemadar like the first season with like the Jemadar. So it's quite fun. Nice. Um, okay, so yep. back on task. So yeah, we see there basically the the entire crew murders themselves because they've got the the space uh the space madness. Um is it here that they mention the no, we still get no mention of the shuttlecraft, which would have been important. Oh <laughs> yeah. So they more on that later, guys. Yeah. So they learned that uh, Hester, when the Endeavor had picked her up, it was on a planet, and so Starfleet sends them uh, in orbit to the planet. I have lost the name of the planet. Oh, Mycenae. Mycenae. Yeah. Mycenae. Yeah. So they go there, and it's this uh, uh, like frozen planet, and this is the coolest fucking thing ever. Okay, another fucking uh, another check mark on the Star Trek comic book bingo card. Uh, uh, Geiger ripoff alien. Well, this is something they could have never done. I think on any of the shows because it would have looked hokey. Yeah, you know, like uh, with CGI. So they're attacked by a Geiger inspired alien, but the thing is like Godzilla sized. It, it is. It is fucking huge. I mean, it is like six stories tall. And I, I mean, out of everything we've seen. So far, from doing this run of the uh, of the books, this is probably the most uh, xenomorph-looking alien yet. So yes, yeah, Spock and McCoy get ambushed by this thing, and not only is it not picked up on tr- uh, with the tricorders, phasers are completely ineffective. Oh, what the, uh, how, how ambushed were they? They were literally walking on its head. Yeah, they, well, they yeah they were walking, and the snow thing like, it, it was just basically burrowed in the snow. So yeah, it gets pissed that they walked on its head. So yeah, so then they, uh, I love it. Uh, Spock's like maybe discretion's the better part of valor, which McCoy's <laughs> like, yep, this, I agree with you. So they run into the small cave to escape it, and then they say, man, the thing's spine must be jointed. It was able to fit through the tiny cave and come at <laughs> it's, them. It's like it dislocated its shoulders and fucking wiggled its way into this narrow ass tunnel. All you see is like in this panel is like the head and like the dislocated shoulders sticking out, and it's just going. Rah! I could not have been more on board with this issue. I mean, this is just so cool. So then they find some ancient, they find a body in the snow, and then they find some ancient, like, alien technology, and it's, like, it's basically a defense uh, screen, which they're able to use to subdue the alien. Right. And, uh, yeah, it, it gets stunned, it flops on down, and that's, that's all she wrote for this guy. She's, he, he's done. So when they're looking at uh, Kirk and the rest of the away team, Kirk and Sulu join them. And when they're looking at the machine, they say some of it is of Earth design. And they're like, yeah, apparently some of it was repaired and reactivated using Transdater-based equipment. Which, and we get a little note here, the Transdater is the basis of almost all Federation technology. That's almost word from word from an episode. Um, Yeah, a piece of the action when, uh, if you remember, that's the gangster episode. 
And yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when McCoy leaves his uh, communicator behind, they're like, Bones, that had the translators in it, the basis of all our technology. That's where they're getting it from, so cool little callback. Like mm-hmm. I said, I mean, for the most part, this one was really well written. Yeah, I mean, the only things I... I- Hello? Oh, no. Hello? <laughs> okay, we're back, everybody. It's kind of funny. We're about to hit a panel where the they have communication issues with the ship, and right before that happened, uh, my computer that we were Skyping on froze, so uh, we had some communication issue. So yep. it's been 12 hours for us, but it's been <laughs> 12 seconds for you. Yeah, yeah. So we're back in our respective places doing our respective things. And uh, continuing on with this fantastic issue of uh, Star Trek, the comic book. Yeah, um, it's a great one. So, yeah, they yeah. Uh, just a little recap for us. The uh, OA team's on the planet. Uh, they're looking at information on the uh, research that uh, Hester was doing there. And it was, I think, I didn't mention this before, but her name is Janet Hester. And I, I'm like, oh, it, I thought it, for a half second that that triggered something in my mind. Do you remember the last episode of the original series where he mind swaps with a woman? That was Janet Lester, and this is Janet Hester. Ooh. So one letter off. So my, my synapse is kind of fired before I realized, oh, no. Similar, but uh, not, uh, not the same person. Different, but same, but yeah. different. So why, why are they having those communication issues? Because uh, uh, Uhura's got the space madness. Yeah, she's ripping her panel apart. I hope they don't make her pay for that. <laughs> right. And, uh, of course, immediately she gets um, drugged without her consent as per, you know, form from McCoy's uh, staff. Yeah, they, she gets uh, the laser tag security guards uh, manhandler. And then, yeah, the uh, pusher McCoy there uh, uh, gets her. Oh, actually, no. That's not no, Pusher that's McCoy. Nurse. Yeah, no, it's Doctor. Well, used to be Nurse Chapel, promoted to Doctor Chapel. Ah, uh, okay. So Doc Chapel gets the gets the freaking the hand in there, and we uh, we move on to the transporter room. Just a fun fact: in the book series, she eventually goes on, and she's the chief medical officer of the Excelsior. With ooh, yeah. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> So I, I guess they're getting Hester to beam down. Uh, Lieutenant Hester, yes. Uh, you mean Karen? Yes. Or Janet? Hester Janet. Jones. Hester Jones. Oh, sorry. Yes. I forgot to yes. hyphenate. Damn yes. it. Well, it's we're we don't not no not to uh, not not to have spoilers, but we don't want to get the the Hesters confused. That's that's that will happen later in the issue. Okay. Good. Good. So, yeah, uh, Lieutenant Hester Jones is being escorted to the transporter by security. and uh, Again, good good idea. Yeah, yeah. The, you know what? They are really, really present with how they're handling their security during this crisis, unlike some people. But anyways. Um, I just want to say, it, there's a, one of my favorite ep- – oh, we covered this in the Next Gen uh, episode we did. One of my favorite episodes, Conspiracy, where they have like the alien parasites in their head. It always cracks me up because it's just very in, – in, in, it's, it's indicative of multiple episodes of Star Trek, but it's really funny. When they call for security, when Riker calls for security when he's being attacked by the Admiral, they have – it's a ship of a 1,000 people. So they probably have what? Like 60 security guards or something on board, like personnel? Who shows up? 
the helmsman and the uh, like uh, uh, whatever the hell Worf did that first season, just like the uh, auxiliary uh, uh, whatever they needed guy on the bridge. Not yeah. a yellow shirt to be seen. No security <laughs> guard showed up, but they do drive in the ship and the dude helping him or the dude who showed the fuck up. So I'm glad that the security personnel are actually doing their job this issue. Yeah, they're 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 on the spot this one, and it's a good thing they're there because, uh, as we can see on the very side of that panel, the uh, the the disembodied uh, My Little Pony Sparkle Cloud friendship is magic freaking takes over one of the crewmen, and uh, he he gets the space madness. Grr, it's her, Lester! He screams. Hester, Hester, Hester. Even, even the even the freaking space madness guys can pronounce it, Hester. So this is right when they bring McCoy up. So man, even though he just uh, he stepped off the fucking platform here, he's got his hypo uh, <laughs> spray, and he's st- <laughs> this motherfucker could teach Cosby lessons. <laughs> we gotta put a little bit of the drugs in him. You put the drugs in the hyper spray, the hyper spray in the guy. <laughs> and out he goes. All right, roofing all for the win. <laughs> Well, you see, you got the drugs, and you got the transporter, and you got the Hester, you see? <laughs> Surprising you didn't fucking drug Hester. <laughs> That's for later, you see? <laughs> it's a fun fact. My wife hates me because I, I constantly do my Bill Cosby impression, and uh, she's a little tired of it. I think I've talked about that on previous episodes. I do Bill Cosby. It's not a good Bill Cosby impression, but I do it a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and and so off off Hester goes, beams down to the planet uh, next to the the giant fucking xenomorph. Which uh, they're oh, have they talked about beaming down the anti-gravs yet, or is that the nope, not yet? That's nope, a misdirection nope, uh, for nope, later. Nope, nope. yeah, misdirect. Nope, not yet. So uh, we learn here that her uh, her grandmother, Doctor Hester was the coordinator of the Deneva research team that invented the transporter, which will be significant. And that's what they think she was doing here, was transporter research. So basically it comes down to, she was asked to cut out those, uh, those transporter experiments. The Federation said these are dangerous, uh, we're, we're discontinuing them. And so her team went to Deneva. This is why she disappeared for 50 years, because they continued their research illegally here on transporter technology, which I'm sure will not have any bearing on. None at all. Absolutely not. Not at all. So, uh, yeah, um, where's that put us? It's all on the records, yada, yada, yada. And they continue doing their illicit transporter experiments. And next thing you know, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of there, there, there's a panel here where all all the infected people are chanting in unison. And it, it reminds me of the scene uh, in Life of Brian where all the crucified dudes all start singing at the same time. It has been a long time since I've seen Life of Brian. Uh, I rewatched it last week. Uh, and they're all crucified and they're all strung up there and they're all just bobbing their heads to the side to side because they're restrained singing Always Think About the Bright Side of Life. I well, do recall that. <laughs> All, all, all of the infected are strapped down firmly in medical beds, and they're all chanting in unison. Except they're not talking about the bright side of life. They're talking about how much they seek Hester. We seek the Hester. The unity now it has a name. Seeks the Hester. 
Yeah, it's just one thing here. I thought McC- uh, Kirk's aunt, like just response to this was a little weird because McCoy is like, I've ruled out like a physical disease. I think it's some sort of possession. And uh, Kirk says, you mean like a demonic possession? Like this is something far-fetched, like it couldn't have any other explanation. In the original series, they came across uh, possession several times, like with Red Jack. Um, there's got to be another. I know there's another, but uh, Red Jack was a big one. Remember, like he... Uh, he was Jack the Ripper. He uh, was murdering like hookers on that one planet and framing Scotty for it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, this is not something that they haven't run across before. But like you said, man, I cannot tell you how fucking cool that was. That scene when you come across that panel, you know, like you said, they're all speaking in one. That is some creepy shit. Yes, her looks really creepy because it looks like her neck just kind of came unhinged. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's just chanting it one at all, just at the same time. That that is that is super cool. What's yeah. not cool is uh, McCoy was unprepared. There was another possessed on board. He came in, broke them loose, and they beat the crap out of McCoy and escaped. Oh yeah, he, he's he's looking a little worse for wear. He's got a black yeah. eye. Yeah, they ripped his uh, uniform. Yeah, he got yeah. face fucked. Yeah, he. I mean, that's what he gets for freaking, you know, drugging everybody without their consent. I disagree. He sh- he didn't drug them enough, apparently. <laughs> Turnabout's fair play. I mean, the bottom left panel that has a close up of his face. Of his face. I mean, he looks fucked up. <laughs> I love that he has like little flame work around him too. For there's a lot of that this issue with every transporter the possessed there's a lot of these little special effect thingies that uh like little fields around the characters and it makes the 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 the, a lot of the stuff just pop it's very dynamic yeah it it is definitely i mean you know as we've gone through this this series i mean even looking a couple panels back to like when he's talking to the communicator it's got a little like little flare coming out of it indicating he's hearing stuff and i mean as we've gone through this series, we have freaking drug some of the art direction over the coals over some and some issues here and there. Um, I don't think there's ha, have you had anything art wise to say negative about this issue? Some of the faces, I think, could have been a little bit better. But I mean, that's just me nitpicking. Yeah, I don't I don't I didn't. Yeah, I mean, last issue was freaking Spock's. Was that a fart or a, a turd freaking moment? We we really haven't had anything too, too like blatantly bad to complain about. Except you know, I mean, the writing there was a little a little hokey in some spots. But other than that, this was a really solid issue. It yeah. was, it's been great. And I think the hokiness, maybe not in the way they intended, served the story. Because when it was good, it was good. But when it was bad, it was funny bad. So yeah. <laughs> it was not like making me want to like punt it across the room because that's ridiculous or lazy. But like that last issue was 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 a pile of hot garbage. And I mean, this yeah. one is in all the ways that one was bad. This one was good. Yeah, I think I think we both have one quibble in common towards the end. And I'll, I'll save my piece about that for, for then. OK, but, but uh, moving on. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're, they're heading for the transporter room. He's like, get the hell out of there. Uh, uh, Bones is giving them a warning that, Hey, they're going to go, they're coming your way and they're going to fucking destroy anything in their path. And they, they want to kill Hester, which, uh, Kirk, he's kind of put it together. He's like, you're making the same mistake they are. They don't want to kill Lieutenant Hester 
Hester Jones. They want to kill Dr. Janet Hester. Right. Who they look so, pretty, in fairness, they look pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah, they do. So, uh, yeah, so they're, they're beaming down into the cavern, and they're coming in hot and heavy behind uh, Hester Jones, who's, uh, who's busy probing the xenomorph, apparently. Yeah, she's getting some samples, and they, again, in unison, tell her, Hester, I have come for you. We have come for you. The unity has come for you. There's a lot of coming for her. Yes, apparently. There was a lot of coming for her in the past, and there's a lot of coming for her now. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, next panel off the panel, you hear Karen get back, and then all of the possessed fall down. Yeah, uh, Sp- uh, Spock, not Spock, Kirk, he uh, shoots with his phaser the ceiling to uh, knock some ice down to uh, block the tunnel. He knows it's not going to keep them for long, but it's just long enough for them to figure out what to do. So, and what right. they did was, instead of having their human host <clears throat> come through, the uh, energy has come through the solid matter. So, however... So, okay, here's, yeah. one thing, here's one thing that's troubling me now that I'm, I'm looking at it a little more critically. Like, Kirk tells Hester Jones, hey, get back. At the same time, they're, they're disincorporating from the bodies. And immediately after that, Kirk triggers the avalanche to block the path. So, like, why in the hell did they freaking abandon the bodies then? Um, they were going to all jump into uh, Jones and explode her from the inside out like a Mortal Kombat fatality. You know what? That is as good of an explanation as I need. <laughs> you're 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 absolutely right. That's real weird that they jumped out of the uh, the maybe maybe the reason that the fight broke up was because McCoy was able to hypo all of them, and they only had like a minute before it set in, so they had just enough time to run down to the planet before they were unconscious. Okay, fair enough. Because that's how he would fight, right? (laughs) He'd be going hypo-sprays akimbo and just freaking going at him. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so they're they're heading back to that mysterious panel from uh, the beginning of the issue, and uh, I, I guess... Uh, Kirk had the presence of mind to station Spock over by the defense field switch, and he lures them in, activates the defense field, and lo and behold, we have two pages of ads, and then boom, traps them. Kind of like, you know, kind of like a, a, a containment unit from Ghostbusters, or almost. Um, in your uh, online version, are the word bubbles covered up by the blue uh, energy? Yes. It's. I'm wondering if that was an art mistake, because if not, I actually thought that was that. They're not every energy balloon or, or word balloon that almost all of them that we see that has that same sort of energy pattern. They did that same thing. They covered up. Uh, they covered it up with the energy, and I actually thought that was pretty cool. You don't see that very often, and yeah, just, you're right. It, it adds to the kind of kineticness of the uh, the of the the panel. So I, I thought it was neat. Right, so, yeah, so they've got him trapped. Uh, Kirk is, you know, of course, kind of patting himself on the back with uh, his big gamble. Uh, yeah, he and, should. Uh, it worked out. It was pretty badass. <laughs> he killed, you know, like, a he... giant alien dinosaur. He trapped the energy <laughs> beams that day. I mean, him and his crew have had a pretty fucking good day. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah fair enough. You know, only one casualty or two. You know, yeah, I mean, the, the first ship that hit this, within, like, a week, they had, like, a, almost 300 dead crewmen. So, I mean, in his first 24, he's lost one. I mean, he's... That's not good that he lost one, but, I mean, so far, 
He he hasn't been taking chances. He's doubled up security everywhere. I mean, he's been doing some good shit. He should pat himself on the back. He gets a gold star from me. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, um, he he introduces uh, Hester Jones to uh, his great, her great grandmother's colleagues, the Deneva research team, or what's left of them. Man, this was such a bad plan by that research team. It, 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 well, I mean, you gotta wonder who the who the fuck were these people? Because as it comes out, you know, um, Hester, the original Hester, was told to stop doing her transporter experiments. You know, they had gotten to the point where they were transporting single cell organisms, but uh, they they weren't ready for human trials. Um, and the Federation was like, hold on, stop your shit. And they retreated back to this secret underground lab so they can, they could continue experimenting. And these fucking six morons were the fucking idiots that volunteered. You would think they would have fucking transported a hamster first. Or it, I love that they're so mad at her for killing them during the dangerous experiment that they willingly signed up for. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I know, I know, especially they like because they said that they were like uh, – incorporeal and spread across like the star system and it took them a while to coalesce and they probably they probably didn't coalesce you know with their sanity you know intact they were probably drifting for years you know just in limbo and that probably took a toll but i mean it's not like she tricked them into like the transporter beam like threw a granola bar in there and told them to like go after it they they willingly joined her and willingly jumped into the testing so I'm not condoning what she did, jumping to human testing as recklessly as she did, but these people, they, they knew the risks. They volunteered for it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, what the fuck? You guys are morons. And, and, and then this is where we get like the, the cover with all the cool you know, talking heads and everything uh, in, coming at them. The, the, the energy of the unity trapped in this defense grid or shield uh, since they've got nowhere to go, somehow they make their energy state into faces so that they can yell at Kirk oh. and Hester. So I just had one question that was never really answered in this uh, issue. So she perfected the transporter on single-celled organisms. I guess then they outlawed the experiments, but we know that the transporter was uh, uh, perfected. Did some other team come along like a year or two later and in a safer manner than perfect it? You know, maybe they started by attempting to transport a gerbil. Tribble, maybe. A tribble. Oh, my God. What if those things reproduce in the, anti- in the matter stream? There was fucking tribble. They fucking they reproduce like bunnies. There was a really stupid Star Trek Discovery short that introduced that tribbles don't reproduce naturally like that. But it was a Federation scientist who did that. And created that problem, which that was a very dumb explanation that didn't fit into lore very anyway. But I'm assuming a science team came back later and built off of her research. But it's like, oh, we credit her with like the foundation of like creating the functioning transporter. Not really. She killed a bunch of people, and it doesn't look like she ever really solved the problem. Hey, you can't make an omelet without breaking six eggs, okay? (laughs) Some six angry (laughs) eggs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh you know, this basically recaps the storyline where the endeavor, you know, uh came to the system to take aboard uh Janet Hester and the Unity uh kind of figured out they could penetrate the the endeavor and they came aboard. 
and they proceeded to wreak havoc, kill everybody. And now, you know, we never got to the anti-grav plates. Oh, well, yeah, they, it's, it's, at one point they, they beamed down some anti-gravity plates and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I don't think we ever got to the, the, the fact that it's been mentioned a couple times kind of offhandedly. They found one of the Endeavor shuttles on the, on the surface. They didn't mention it though. No, I think there's a panel where they just mention, or they mention, Spock briefly mentions a missing and, uh, uh, shuttle yes. but yeah they don't they don't explain it later which makes us again talk right. I, I can't remember if we talked about this on air or off air it felt like maybe this issue got edited down and some of that stuff that would have been there along the way to let us know that they figured into the story kind of got edited out but yes yeah, so yeah. the endeavor was missing a shuttle and we see why uh hester when all hell broke loose on the endeavor stole it and uh Right. Piloted she's, off she to escaped. somewhere else. Yes. Yeah, she escaped on a shuttle, and the Unity went crazy. Took you know, killed everybody on board the ship, and uh, you know, the ship was left basically adrift, and the Unity stayed in the ship. And then out of nowhere, uh, you know, previously in the issue, I forget where it happened. We we must have skipped over it. Uh, Kirk, you know, wants some anti grav plates brought down. You're you're led to assume it's so that they can take the giant xenomorph and move it into a better position for transport or something. Uh, but in reality, what it is is that they had found the escaped shuttle from the Endeavor, and this is one of those. Uh, you know, it, it feels like they wrapped this up way too quickly. It would have been great to have a couple of extra pages where they they document that they found the abandoned shuttle. Yes, like oh, and that they. A shuttle was missing. I wonder where it went. Then, oh, when we were on the planet, Captain, we found the shuttlecraft. How did it get here? Right. I mean, really, it's, you know, I say an extra page or two, but it's it's only an extra page or two because you could have added a couple panels here and there interspersed throughout the book to, to just pad it out enough that you're not left with what feels like a grab out of empty air to wrap up the story. I have to say, they did a really really good job on that shuttlecraft like matching it to how it looked in the original series with like the cursive name of it like in front and just like the lettering and like the, you know like it's every shuttlecraft had a number that was like after that that was after the ncc number i mean it just it looks it, i mean it looks perfect they did a perfect job on that shuttle it was like a right. like a presidential phone call perfect <laughs> So, yeah, they bring out the shuttle and, uh, you know, the, they, they drop the field for the Unity, I guess. And Unity goes in there and they go berserk because at last she's ours. Well, they to... explain, Kirk explains because they're trying to kill Lieutenant Hester Jones that you, man, that was like 80 years ago. You've got the wrong person. This is her granddaughter. The You want Dr. Hester. She's in the shuttle. And so they start attacking her mummified corpse. Uh, yeah, who knows what they're going to do with that mummified corpse. I Only Cosby does. Jump into it and make it explode. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, while they charge uh, mindlessly at the corpse, uh, Jim decides, hey, let's put some phasers on overload and throw them inside there, too, for good measure. Yeah, him and Sulu just chuck their hand grenade phasers in there. And, yeah, they, they beam out and they blow the shit out of that shuttle and the carcass and the energy. And... Then we get a, a fantastic ad. 
I gotta disagree with you. Normally, I love the hostess ads and am lukewarm on the the issues. I really love this issue, and I was really, really negative on this hostess ad. Uh, you know, this this ad this ad actually made sense. I mean, you're in a you know these bank robbers are, are, are pulling a heist on a bank, and somehow they get surrounded by the cops, and they're in a siege state. So of course they're gonna build up an appetite and get hungry. So Iron Man comes in. And, like, you know, has the officers wheel in a cart of hostess freaking fruit, what, fruit pies. And, of course, the burglars are, are, are hungry. So they're like, oh, shit, yeah, food. And while they're eating food, Iron Man comes in and fucks them up well, they and then throw, carts them off. They throw, they're so excited to see these hostess fruit pies. They don't just put down their machine guns. They throw them. Almost like they are throwing them in a shuttlecraft that they're trying to blow up. <laughs> I mean, that one dude... In the uh, middle panel there, man, he is tossing that shit aside. And well, Yeah, I mean, have you ever eaten one of those Hostess fruit pies when you were a kid? That's a two-handed affair, man. I don't you think need I've, both hands. I don't ever think I've ever, or I don't think I've ever had a Hostess fruit pie. Uh, I, I was never a, a big fan of them, but I had friends back when I was a kid that were. And those were two-handed affairs because they, they were messy as fuck. If you gave me an option between like those or Ho-Ho's or a Ding Dong or a, you know, a Twinkie, man, I'm choosing. Chocodile. Yeah, Chocodile. I'm choosing like a Twinkie or a Chocodile over one of those fruit pies. Yeah, you know, uh, okay, so, uh, so going back to the Hostess freaking snacks, um, you, you, you know what my preferred snack was back in the day? What's that? And it makes me feel like Worf, okay? It, it makes me feel like no, because my my well, it, it's on a similar theme. My favorite Hostess snack back then were the oat bran muffins. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> I mean, are we including like say uh, snowballs and Nutter butters oh, and oatmeal cream okay, pies? Okay, okay, Nutter butters would be my my take the cake. But at the time, like, I, I used to, you know, I grew up in New York, and I used to have to ride the subway to go to school. And as, as you know, during during the spring and, and the spring into the summer, because New York, the school year is September to June. Uh, it's like middle of September. It's like right after Labor Day, you went back to school. And I remember like June 25th, 26th was usually like the last day of school for us. Yeah, Nutter Butters in the hotter months were not pleasant to eat for me. I just have this thing about chocolate when it gets semi-melty. I, I, I can't stand it. Those, when you put them in a freezer on a hot day. Oh, oh they're the shit. That is the shit. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say Nutter Butters and Snowballs. Man, I as a vegetarian, I, I'm sad I can't eat Snowballs anymore because they have gelatin and, like, the cream in the middle. But uh, man, I mi- I loved fucking snowballs. I I would kill for some fucking Hostess oat bran muffins, because like you actually got and you could fool yourself into thinking they were healthy. Um, but I mean, you got two pretty good sized fucking muffins, and I would I remember on my commute to school, I would stop at a corner store, buy one pack of those and a small carton of milk, and that was my breakfast that I ate on the go to school. Man, I would be worried for you having one of those oat brand muffins now because you'd be sitting there, you know, you just <laughs> living high in the hog, enjoying your oat brand muffin. And then when you least suspect it, Iron Man's going to Kool-Aid man through the wall and punch <laughs> you in the mouth like he did here. 
<laughs> oh yeah. I mean, he totally Kool Aid mans through that fucking wall. Oh yeah, and he proceeds to trash the guys, and you know, at least, at least, you know, and and you can see if if it wasn't for the one guy that looks like maybe he broke his arm, uh, they're they're all still freaking, you know, fisting their freaking fruit pies into their mouths they're, as Iron Man's dragging them off. They're being dragged away, well, and they're still eating their fruit pies, and then there's just some asshole astute who's eating one as well, like he's uh that's evidence, sir, that you're eating. That is evidence. Hey, he of a was crime. a hostage, okay. But he was a hostage. He's hungry too, man. <laughs> so I just, I feel like a real asshole nitpicking this, but I just felt the the writing in this hostess ad was very lazy. <laughs> I feel the story didn't. It held together, I guess, better than the the cold wizard flying the yes. biplane from last month. Yes, but I mean, it's just. There seems to be better – usually it's like an alien invasion that Captain America, you know, stops for, with, a, uh, with a Twinkie. This one is just it's – so, it's so mundane. It's a hostage situation, and it just – there seems like better, less risky ways to handle it than uh, uh, a hostess fruit pie. I don't know. It felt very phoned in this week on the uh, hostess ad. Oh, okay, fine. I, I thought there was an element of realism to it that I appreciated. <laughs> and why are, they're bank robbers. Why are they dressed like that? I mean, um, they have, like, jumpsuits with these weird headpieces. I mean, they're... It's not normally how, how, how bank uh, bank robbers dress. They're part of a gang, dude. It's a fruit pie gang. That's right. That's their weakness. Iron Man knew. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a thumbs down for me this week on the on the roast i was just <laughs> okay so uh after this commercial break we come back to the enterprise i was very critical of the ads we've seen this a couple of times but the saturday morning uh uh, uh ads the one of them centered around the uh the fonzie and his time traveling adventure which i've remember hearing that cartoon i've never actually seen it but i mean man you are you are out of ideas where that's what you come up with uh, time traveling Fonzarelli. Hey, yeah, I'm gonna stop the uh, JFK assassination. Hey, <laughs> I'm gonna go kill baby Hitler. Hey, I'm gonna create the grandfather paradox. Hey, <laughs> oh man, oh man, we're losing. We are. This is a longer one than we've done in a while. We're losing yeah. it. Yeah. Oh well. Hey, we're having a good time. Fuck it. Um, so yeah, so back on board uh, the Enterprise, uh, you know, Kirk is uh, summing everything up uh, in his report, and you know he has a little, you know, typical little conversation with Spock. You know what was absent from this one? There was no freaking like bone Spock semi racist freaking conversation. Agreed, they missed that story beat, which I don't mind. We don't get to check that one off of the freaking Star Trek bingo card. Um, so, yeah, it's all behind him now, and who does Kirk meet up with on her way out? Well, he talks to a very sad-looking Spock. That he panel, <laughs> he looks it's a, very, it's a very melancholy Spock. He's thinking about the time he shit his pants on the bridge, okay? Man, I'm tempted to draw a little tear under, a little tear <laughs> tattoo like she has under his eye. I mean, he looks like he's just ready to bawl. Like snot coming out of his nose, like sobbing, crying. (laughs) Just just draw a little snot bubble coming out of one nostril. (laughs) But uh, anyway, he meets up with uh, Hester Jones. Yeah, and uh, you know she's you know she's trying to resurrect that old flame. He's just like, no, my my command comes first. 
fuck off ho and uh sends her on her merry way bags packing with her fucking nicely fucking shaped silhouette he, in the fucking background he does not f- tell her to fuck off ho he 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 capitulates he tells her you know what karen somehow i do owe you something which she disagrees with she's like no you know you'll all your, your ship will always come first so i totally disagree he doesn't owe her shit they were two adults who entered into a relationship and he didn't manage it very well and she uh went on with her life and married somebody else and that didn't work out. That's all. He has his shit. He has a son he never talks about, and a bunch of failed relationships, and 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 and, and, and issues with intimacy. And she jumped into a marriage she shouldn't have to forget him. They both have to own their shit. Okay, fine. It was it was a more mature and responsible ending than than I portrayed it as. I'm sorry. My my bad. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I, I, you were expecting a fuck-off ho ending, but yeah, I was totally not expecting... I was not expecting this issue to end with uh, blowing up a shuttlecraft uh, and uh, then him admitting that he owes her something after their relationship ended. This was a, uh, this was a surprise. Like I said, I mean, I don't want to... I'm, I'm not trying to be an asshole about it. I, like I said, I don't agree with the way that he... Uh, I think he handled this relationship or others of his relationships. Have you ever seen the episode where they uh, they meet the immortal Flint and he makes an android who seems somewhat interested in Kirk and Kirk and uh, just goes completely crazy and tries to make the android like just keeps trying to like get in with her and like makes the android choose between him and Flint and she like uh, like she can't handle it and she dies. Uh, no, he I don't act, think I've seen that one. He acts like, it, I mean, he's an insane person. What he does is what an insane person would do. Like, they're trying to get this medication to save, like, the lives of everybody on the ship. And while that's going on, he's, like, totally putting that in danger to make eyes sit with this girl who's much too young for him. And in the I mean, it's just, oh, you, you talk to me kindly once. We must be in love. I'm going to put the entire mission in jeopardy and uh, d- to uh, to pursue – I mean, it's like – it is it is baffling how him and Flint act in that episode. Like, no human beings have ever acted like that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm making this longer unnecessarily. But, yeah, this was, a, this was a good issue. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one despite any of the shortcomings that uh, we discussed, especially with the rather brief ending. Um other than that, I, I, I'd say, you know, th- this is what I hope the re- remainder of the series feels like because it was a fun episode, a fun issue. Um, again, great character design. Uh, the, the artist in this one, uh, whoever was on pencils, sorry, forget the name. Uh, scrolling back up. The artists, we had Dave Cochran and Frank Springer. Okay, well, there you go. It's, it's definitely... I think all of the uh, pizzazz and, and dynamicness that we we've seen in this one, and also the the outstanding ship shots, probably we owe more to Cochrane. Yeah, the sh- all the ship stuff, especially seeing it was fun seeing the old school Constitution Constitution class pre refit and that shuttlecraft. I mean, amazing job. Yeah, I, I'd be willing to bet that was more Cochrane's influence than anything. Yeah, and, that's where uh, he shines. Yeah, it, it definitely was a visual delight for this issue. I mean, even the taciturn Spock was was not too bad. You are if you don't if you didn't like the taciturn Spock, then you're in luck next issue, my friend. 
Oh, God. I'm not even going to peek. In this issue, Spock, the Barbarian, plus exclusive excerpts from the Starfleet files. Oh, yeah, it's got uh, Spock with a spear on the cover just kicking the shit out of some cavemen. Fuck yes. You know how I think he got there? Time traveling Fonzie. <laughs> that would be oh, fun. Man. It's like Fonzie, Spock, and Dracula from like issue five, and they just time travel through uh, uh, just just around writing wrongs, like Quantum yeah, Leap, yeah. but with a Spock and a Dracula uh, and a Fonzie. Yeah, and every once in a while, fucking Spider Man and Cable jump in. Yeah, well, why not? Let's do it, Marvel. We know you're listening. Do it. <laughs> They're part of our legion of fans. Exactly. Man, this was a this was a really good uh, issue. This is what I was hoping the series would be. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 this, like I said, this is what I'm hoping the rest of it goes like. You know, I'm not going to hold my breath too much, but I, I, I am definitely grateful after like the the run of what it was it like three, two or three, where we were just fucking just dragging them over the coals for how fucking atrociously bad they were. Uh, this was a breath of fresh air for me. When DC gets the license in a few years, I haven't read that whole run, and it's been years since I, I read those. I remember them being better. I, I mostly read, like, the next-gen stuff, but I, I remember that run being better and uh, than, than what we've seen so far. But yeah, I'm, like I said, I uh, or like you said, I'm hoping that uh, we we uh, we start to get it, that they're figuring it out and start to 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 plot these out a little bit better. Because yeah, this one was this one was fun. This one was fun as hell. <laughs> well, alrighty then. So that a wrap? That is a wrap. Come find us. Uh, email us at comicbookdungeon at comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail dot com. And Comic Book Dungeon Podcast on the Instagrams. Yeah, do there and do Instagram stuff. Yeah, I should go there and do Instagram yeah, stuff. I don't know what that I mean, is. What the f- I don't want to. I, uh, I do pay attention if you get a direct message. Yeah, and given that we're all in a fucking quarantine, I should have more time, except I'm essential, so I still have to go to work. <sighs> it always comes back to the coronavirus. Yeah, it does. Where's Pusher does. McCoy with a, with a vaccine? With the cure? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so okay. So, uh, as we're tra- trailing out, have have you like watched? Do you watch any like current TV shows that have a live studio audience? Um, the only live TV show I think that we watch like that is uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers. Okay, because like a- as I'm watching like some of this stuff and and, and 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 looking at it, and I see this, you know, this is week three of fucking coronavirus quarantine time. And I've been conditioned now to the point where whenever I see a large gathering of people like that in a studio audience, I'm like, good God, man. Do you know what the fuck you're doing? Why Why is there no social distancing between these fucking people? You're going to kill us all. <laughs> exactly. This is how it spreads. <laughs> Even my kids are like fucking catching on to that shit now. They're like, don't they know they need to maintain at least six feet apart? It'll be interesting to see kind of like if this point in time kind of influences maybe our like uh just unconsciously kind of our social norms and like when you're in an elevator you see people even more spread out than normal or uh you just see you know like people taking more personal space if that just comes like a little bit more internalized and kind of collective self yeah uh, that and my question is with as much uh of a strain has been put on our paper goods freaking uh, supply channels. Were these people not really wiping their asses and washing their hands beforehand? Because that really grosses me out a little bit. 
Oh, I like to do that. I'll use the public bathroom and not uh, wash my hands and just, you know, take my hand and wipe it over everything. Your children, <laughs> your car doors. Do you, uh, do you want to hear something kind of fucked up? Shoot. So, man, when I, was, uh, when I was in Iraq, there was this staff sergeant who, he lost his shit. He was already an asshole who did stupid, unpopular asshole things. And not like he was, you know, like mean or like a dick. It's just he... The set things he did and the things he said, he just he was he was just he was like a burrito that fell on the floor. He wasn't wrapped right. And then the stress <laughs> of being in Iraq, he kept doing weird and unsafe stuff. But I mean, he was like a pathological liar already. So he was just really he was no he wasn't popular. And then he kept doing more and more dangerous stuff to his crew. And it eventually all of us enlisted and I, I did not, I was a sergeant, so I did not partake in any of this. So, but I turned a blind eye to it, so I am also culpable, or are culpable to it. But man, like his, on his crew, he had a driver who was like another E5, uh, and he, uh, so another sergeant is his driver, and we were really good friends. So him and his crew would tell me like at the end of the night when he would just leave to uh, walk back, uh, like, didn't leave the gun line. Like, they would take the headphones that he had for the radio and, like, wipe their dicks on it. Uh, <laughs> they pissed all over his door handles. Like, he'd leave, uh, like, even though you weren't fucking supposed to, because what if there's a mortar attack, which happened, you know, because that's what happens. He'd left, like, he left his Kevlar in there, and, yeah, they, like, so their post-Iraq sweaty mission dick, you know, they wiped all over the pads in his Kevlar, like man, they like put like they rub their pubes all over like his like the like the mouthpiece to his radio. Man, like we were in like these trailers over there and so he uh he had a roommate me for a while until I could move the fuck out. But uh so then he just had a single trailer for a while and man, people in the platoon just took turns. Every E1 to E4 I think in our platoon wiped their dick on that guy's door handle. Pissed on it. Man, everything that guy touched over the course of his day that most other people wouldn't touch got had sweaty balls or piss or snot wiped on it. That's how much people... That is some serious passive-aggressive shit right there. <laughs> We're lucky he didn't get anybody killed. Oh, man. Man, I, uh, I forgot about that. All right. It's not something I constantly remember, but it's been in my, the, in my mind because of everything going on. <laughs> that guy must have had a super immune system when he came. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. I guess I'm not proud. Like I said, I did not partake because I thought it was, as a sergeant, I needed to set a better example. However, I, like I said, that did not stop me from when a private first class would tell me that, I, uh, I did not correct him or tell him to stop that behavior. So again, that was probably not conduct becoming of who i should have been but i that was my that was my line i know why you guys are doing this because he is such a piece of shit but i will not i will not condone it by i guess i will condone it by not telling you to stop or bringing it to like the platoon sergeant's attention but i will not engage in it <laughs> oh man that an that's a that's a fine line to walk he was quite the asshole and everyone i, I could imagine oh well on that note uh, we will see you guys in two weeks, and I just want to remind the audience, if you ever find yourself as a disembodied 
collective consciousness. Don't make the rookie mistake of attacking your uh, the person who wronged you's granddaughter. Good night, yes. everybody. Good night. <laughs> oh, fuck. of no TV and no beer make Homer something something. Go crazy? Don't mind if I do!